Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Today our scripture is found in John 15, 11. John 15, 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Julie, thank you so much for doing our reading today. I'd like to ask you all to join me in prayer as we prepare hearts for the Lord's message. Father, you are the source of all true joy. You are a joyous God, and we just ask you to teach us about joy today by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be filled with your spirit and with your joy, even during a time where it is difficult to be happy. Lord, we thank you that you offer that to us. Lord, we pray for those who are in our midst, those online, people that we know that are going through very difficult times right now. We ask that you'd minister happiness and joy to them in spite of the difficult circumstances. Lord, we pray for those who are dealing with financial issues that are especially pressing. We pray for those who are dealing with health issues, some related to COVID, some related to other issues that have been exacerbated because of the COVID crisis. And we lift them up to you, Lord, to bring healing and comfort and even joy into their lives. Lord, for those who have lost loved ones during this difficult time, we pray, Lord, that amidst their grief, they would find joy in Jesus. Lord, speak to us now, and may the Holy Spirit speak through me words that honor Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you don't know what you're looking for, it's really difficult to know when you found it. (laughs) And if you don't know what you're looking for, it's difficult to know where to even begin looking for those things. I read an article about a man by the name of Dr. David Vaughn, and he was doing research with laboratory things that had to do with the ocean and corals and things like that, and he was looking forward to retiring soon. He was tired of what he was doing. He was ready for retirement, and he was looking forward to retiring when he found something that he was not looking for totally by accident. And what he found not only changed his life, but changed, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me begin with the story. Dr. Vaughn was studying the growth of corals in the marine laboratory where he worked, and one day he was cleaning out a large tank that had a large piece of coral that they'd been growing for three years. And while he was cleaning the tank, he accidentally shattered the coral that was in there, and he was devastated by his goof. It took three years to grow that coral. But then something much to his surprise began to happen. The shattered pieces of coral in the tank started to grow. And within weeks, they grew larger than the original coral that had taken three years to grow the same size. This accidental discovery, which he wasn't looking for, is now termed microfragmenting. And it's been discovered by using this technique of microfragmenting that corals can grow 40 times faster in the tank after being fragmented than they would in the wild. So instead of finding himself retiring, Dr. Vaughn found himself on a quest now to plant one million 
corals and help restore the coral reefs. Let me ask you, what is it that you're looking for these days? And do you know where to look for what you're looking for? And will you know when you've found it? There is a caravan of Persian astrologers, and they were on the move. They're on the hunt looking for someone somewhere. And they'd seen a sign in the heavens that indicated to them that a king had been born. And so they began to look for that king. But where do you look for a king? Well, you look for a king in the capital city of that king's nation. And since they were looking for the king of the Jews, they headed toward the city of Jerusalem to look for a king and to find him. And after what it could have been as many as two or three weeks if they were traveling by camel, three or four weeks if they were traveling by foot, they came to the capital city of Jerusalem. And the arrival of this contingency of foreign dignitaries stirred up no, so, no small consternation in Jerusalem when they came in and said, where is he? See, this bothered King Herod because King Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. And now these dignitaries are saying, where is the new king of the Jews? Well, Herod decides that he's going to help the Magi find this new king. And he lies to them and tells them that he wants to worship the king, so please let him know when they have found him. Because both Herod and the Magi were looking for the same thing but for vastly different reasons. We pick up the story in the only gospel that records it in Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew, in chapter 2, verse 1, writes this. Verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, of course, because King Herod thought he was the king. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Christ is the Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one, and it's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah, which also means anointed one. It's a title, it's not a name. And so they look up to see where the anointed one was to be born. And these chief priests and scribes said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And then they quote from the Old Testament, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So with this added bit of prophetic information indicating where this baby king is going to be born, in other words, Bethlehem, the search narrows. And so the Magi now had a better idea of where to look for what they hoped to find. But even though Bethlehem was a small town and insignificant, you can't knock on every single door. I mean, it'd be like saying someone was born in Kailua, find him. And so they still didn't know exactly where to find this baby king. Where should they begin looking? How would they know when they found what they were looking for? Well, fortunately, they had divine help. And as I understand as they read it, as I read it, the star that got them moving had 
gone away for a while. And now it shows up and it points out an exact house. And that's why I don't believe that the star is just a couple planets in the sky that come together and create the so-called Bethlehem star. Because such planetary movement isn't going to point out a specific house to search in, let alone uh, a city. So I think the star was most likely the Shekinah glory that we have all throughout the Old Testament. It's the appearance of God and His glory. We see it in the burning bush with Moses. We see it with the fire that was a pillar of fire through the Sinai. We see it on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is there. And so it could be that these magi, these astrologers, did see some planetary grouping of stars in the east that signaled the king had been born, but it didn't move with them. Then they have a reappearance of, or an appearance of the Shekinah glory. So maybe it's a both and type of thing, not an either or. Whatever it was, it led them to the exact house we see in verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Matthew, And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star. That's how we know the star wasn't up in the sky. It says, lo, the star. <laughs> oh, so bad. And lo, the star which they'd seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. Notice, that star stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, as if they hadn't seen it for a while. And then they came into the house. Notice they came to a house. The shepherds aren't there because the shepherds came to a cave, a stable. They came to a house. Notice they saw a child, not a baby. This is a toddler. This is sometime after the shepherds. And they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him. And now we have three types of gifts. doesn't say there were three kings. doesn't say there were three magi. It was probably a whole contingent of them. But they have three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed from their, for their own country by another way. So they traveled two, three, four weeks Say hi, bow down, get up, leave, and head home. Quite a story. This Persian, this caravan of Persian astrologers, these magi, as we call them, found what they were looking for and a lot more. They found not just the king of the Jews, they found their savior and they worshiped him. Today we're going to continue in our series, A World in Crisis. And we come to the title of today's message, A World in Crisis, Joy Needed Here. Joy needed here. And if you're watching online, there's an outline online for you. And if you came in, there was an outline, a paper outline available for you. And if you're looking at it, you're saying, well, you haven't said anything on the outline yet. Well, there's a whole blank section where when I say profound things, you're supposed to scribble those down. <laughs> and fortunately, I at least have one point. It's not pointless, but we'll get to it toward the end if you're looking at your notes. But the Magi have something to teach us about joy. But so does Dr. Randy Alcorn, pastor, teacher, author, and all-around great guy. Some time ago, and I shared it with you at that time, I, I had read part of his book, I saw it online, and it, it said that joy, what the church thought about joy is wrong. The church has lost its joy because we defined it differently than what it really is. And in his book, he contends that joy is the same as happiness. And what Dr. Alcorn did is he looked at the word joy, every place it was in the Bible, and instead of inserting what we've been taught in the church, that joy is a good mental attitude. It's not an emotion. It's a good mental attitude. That's what I was taught. And maybe you have been misled by me because I would have taught you that. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, 
let's see if he's right. Now, I'm not one easily to admit that he's wrong, so I wanted to look for myself. So I went through all the scriptures where you find the word joy and inserted good mental attitude, which is what I was taught and what I taught you, and inserted happiness and saw which one works better. And I found when I did that something I wasn't looking for. I found that I was wrong, and I admit it. And like I said, I misled you, and you were wrong. So let's correct all this. The great discovery that Dr. Alcorn made, and I would support, is that joy and happiness are synonyms. That joy is not just a good mental attitude as we have been taught in the church. We've been incorrectly taught. We've been taught that happiness is dependent on happenstance, and it's an emotion, and joy is a good mental attitude regardless of your circumstances. It sounds so good, and it is so wrong. Think about it for a minute logically. If happiness was dependent on circumstances alone, then you ought to be really unhappy right now. I mean, we're like in the midst of a pandemic, and there are conspiracy theories. There are conspiracy theories about the conspiracy theories. We have lockdowns and open-ups and lockdowns. There's all these rules. I don't know about you, but I keep trying to keep track of the rules. Businesses have closed, which is really inconvenient. If you're a customer, it's devastating if you are an owner. Financial ruin for some. There has been death due to COVID for loved ones in our church. And there has been death due to not being able to get treated properly because of COVID, and you died of something else. Our politicians seemingly are making our lives miserable. We ought to be unhappy people. Now, don't take me out of context and say, Pastor Perry preached this week. We should be unhappy. So I'm unhappy. (laughs) I'm not giving you permission to be unhappy. I'm just telling you, if happiness only depends on circumstances, we ought to be miserable. But we should have a good mental attitude about being miserable, apparently. At least that's what we were taught. Think of the Apostle Paul. If happiness depends only on circumstances, he ought to be the most unhappy person around. I mean, he was beaten numerous times. He was whipped 39 lashes several times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked twice. He was bitten by a poisonous viper. And he was imprisoned numerous times, eventually crucified. And at least, apparently, he had a good mental attitude about all these things, but he was really unhappy. That can't be true. If happiness only depends on circumstances, then we worship an unhappy Savior. Think about it. He was accused unfairly of being a bastard, of being a blasphemer, of being a Beelzebub buddy, if you want to continue with the bees. In other words, doing miracles by the power of Beelzebub. He was unloved by his own siblings. He thought he'd gone nuts. He was rejected by his own Jewish nation. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was whipped. He was tortured, and he was crucified. Are we to believe that Jesus had good mental attitude but was unhappy all that time? I don't buy it. As Dr. Alcorn points out from the Scriptures, joy and happiness are are synonyms. Go through your Bibles, like I said, and insert good mental attitude for joy. It just not make sense. And I used to believe that. <laughs> Look with me again at Matthew 2, at verses 9 and 10. 
with this better understanding that joy and happiness are synonyms. That joy is not just a good mental attitude. Matthew 2, verse 9, And having heard the king, King Herod, they, the Magi, went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they had exceedingly good mental attitudes. Yes, they had great mental attitudes. It doesn't make any sense. They were ecstatically happy that they were about to find what they were looking for. They didn't just have a good mental attitude. Now, I hope they had good mental attitudes. I'm not against good mental attitudes. Does God want you to have a good mental attitude? Absolutely He does. But that's not what joy means. In Philippians 4.8, the Apostle Paul tells us, commands us to have good mental attitudes, and he gives us a list of things that your mind, my mind, should be dwelling on, pondering on. And he starts with purity. Your mind should dwell on what is pure. That's a good mental attitude. If your mind is dwelling on impure thoughts, that's a bad mental attitude. He also says your mind should dwell on what is lovely. There are a lot of things to gripe about right now. Cut it out, he says. Think about what is lovely. Think about what has a good reputation. Think about what is excellent, not just bad or mediocre. Think about what is worthy of praise, not criticism. That's a good mental attitude, and we're commanded to have it. God wants you to have a good mental attitude, but God also wants you to be happy. He wants you to feel good. He wants you to have good emotional well-being. If you look up the word joy online, which I did, you'll discover it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. It doesn't say it's a good mental attitude. The definition of joy, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And who doesn't want that? And that's what Jesus is offering in John 15, 11. In John 15, 11, Jesus says this, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to experience feelings of great pleasure and happiness, just like he did. He's not speaking about mental attitudes. When a world is in crisis, yes, we need good mental attitudes. But I want more, don't you? Don't you want feelings of great pleasure and happiness even in the midst of crisis? When the angels announced to the shepherds the birth of Jesus, they were not offering to the world good mental attitudes. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 puts it this way in Luke 2.10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. That's an emotion, a feeling. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I want you to have emotional well-being. I want you to have pleasure and happiness, not just good attitudes. Having a relationship with Jesus should make you really happy. It should make you a happy person. We Christians, of all people, ought to be happy people, which brings us to our first and only point on the outline. Key principle. Here it is. Don't miss it. <laughs> if you missed this one, you've missed them all. Find your greatest happiness in your relationship with Jesus. Find your greatest happiness in your relationship with Jesus. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to know where to find it. Well, what are you looking for when you're looking for joy? You're looking for happiness. You're looking for emotional well-being. You're looking for pleasure. And where do you find it? You find it in Jesus. I'm not saying you can't find pleasure 
in other things. You can find pleasure in, you know, retail shopping. You can find pleasure in activities and sports. You can find pleasure in family. Don't get rid of those things. But I'm saying you're going to find your greatest pleasure in Jesus. You might not have any of those things, and you can still be happy. Am I saying that you'll never be sad? I'm not saying that either. If you've ever been at a Christian funeral, you can't tell whether the tears are tears of grief or tears of joy and happiness. They're both. We're not saying get rid of all other emotions. Your emotions are real. You should be frustrated. You should be angry. You should be upset at certain times. But you also should be happy. Does that make sense? Jesus wants you to be a full emotional being, and that includes being happy and having pleasure even when things are going south. If you look for your greatest happiness in your relationship with Jesus, there are a whole lot of unhappy people right now, and Christians don't seem to be any exception. People who are letting circumstances and alleged circumstances determine their emotional well-being. And that is unhealthy and it's unbiblical. We're told in James 1, 2, on the outline, there's a misprint, my bad. James 1, 2 is a correct text. Consider it all joy, he writes. Consider it all emotional well-being and happiness and pleasure, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He's saying you can still be happy when things go badly. In Jesus, you can be happy. Because your happiness should be tied to Jesus, not just to circumstances. Listen again as we read John 15, 11, by putting the definition of joy in the verse. John 15, 11, these things Jesus says, I have spoken to you that my happiness may be in you and that your happiness may be full. Jesus wants to give you happiness and he wants to give it to me. Christmas is a joyous celebration. And that doesn't mean you have a good mental attitude about the birth of Jesus. It means you find your happiness in celebrating the birth of Jesus. It really should be the happiest time of the year because our happiness should be in Jesus. The last time the word joy is ever used in the Scriptures, it's in the second to last book of the Bible, the book of Jude, which only has one chapter. So in Jude, verse 24, or chapter 124, however you want to put it, we have a beautiful benediction. We're going to read half of it. You'll get the rest of it at the end of the service. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. With great joy. Now let's stop there for a moment, right in the middle of the benediction. What does he mean by this? He's saying that you're going to be made perfect and holy. You're going to be standing before the judge of the universe, God. And he says, you'll do it with great joy. Do you think he means, God, I have a good mental attitude about what's going on here? No. He says you're going to be happy and full of pleasure in the presence of God. What a beautiful thing. What a wonderful thing. Listen, God is the happiest being in the universe. And if you don't understand that or know that, you're worshiping the wrong God. Our God is the happiest being in the universe, and He has promised to share His happiness with you and me. You go, well, that would take a miracle. Well, that's what He does. 
That's why he's God. <laughs> Notice what David says in Psalm 1611. In Psalm 1611, David, speaking to God in his presence, just like Jude told us, David in the Old Testament is telling us, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Hebrew poetry does not rhyme sound. Hebrew poetry rhymes thoughts. So we have the same thought twice said differently. So that's what David does here. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's the same thing as in your hand there are pleasures forever. It's pleasing. It's wonderful. It's happy. It's a beautiful experience to be in the presence of God. So we close with this thought. It could have been a point, but I didn't think of it until I already printed the outline. So you can make this your own point if you want, if you want two points. Friends, like the Magi, look for Jesus and find happiness. Look for Jesus and find happiness. Don't look for happiness. Look for Jesus. And when you know what you are looking for, you will know when you find it. Because when you find Jesus, you find your happiness. Will you pray with me? And if you're watching online, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads as well as we pray. With your head bowed and eyes closed so you can have a private moment. Are you filled with Jesus? Is he in your life? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave and he conquered death. And he's offering to you eternal life, salvation, the forgiveness of sins. But you have to choose it. You have to accept it. You have to open the gift. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you can open the gift. You can receive him by just sincerely in your heart turning to him and saying, Lord Jesus, I believe what you've done for me. Please save me. And he will. Lord, as we continue to pray, we pray as Christians that you would fill us with your happiness, with your joy, that we truly would be happy people even amidst the difficulties that we're going through, that people would ask us for the happiness, for the reason for the happiness that's in us, and we'd tell them, well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. And it's in your beautiful name, the happy name, the joyous name, the wonderful name, the healing name of Jesus we offer our prayers. Amen.